0: Hello, and welcome to the Judo Way of Life podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Ivo DeSantos. Ivo is a third-degree black belt whose career accolades include six Oceania titles, five Australian national titles, and countless international medals. Ivo also represented Australia at the London 2012 Olympic Games. He now runs his own Judo Academy in Melbourne and coaches for the Australian national team. Thank you for joining us today. No worries, man. just like to get started with a bit of your backstory, like how you got started in judo.
1: I started judo at five years old. The long story was we migrated to Australia from Portugal when I was two years old. So a couple of years later, we'd moved to this different area, different suburb in the western suburbs of Melbourne. My dad had taken to the Australian lifestyle of eating pies and drinking beer, and the doctor told him we needed to do a bit of exercise. So he went, all right, I used to do judo back in the day. I'll find a, a judo club. So he started training for a little bit and found out that they had a kids program there as well, the judo club. And the kids program, because it was like a non-profit sort of church hall sort of setup, was cheaper than a babysitter. So my sister and I were enrolled quick smart in judo. And that was at our Kilmung judo club in Werribee, which no longer exists. Yeah, since then, I've continued and progressed and gone to a couple of different judo clubs. And nowadays, after retiring as an athlete, I run my own.
0: Did you ever do any other sports as a kid growing up?
1: Uh, yeah. So as a kid, I tried a bunch of sports. I wasn't a real flash at many of them. I played basketball for a few years. I played roller hockey. And then I played soccer for a few years in my teens. And I was okay at that, but not as good as I wanted to be. Throughout the whole thing I was always doing judo. There was, these were always secondary sports. My parents pretty early insisted and made this rule that I was allowed to do judo, but I always had to do a team sport at the same time. That was for, you know, not wanting to be too selfish and All that sort of thing. And so I did team sports right up until I was 17, 18. And then since then, it's been
0: judo all the way. And what was it about judo that kept you interested? Because obviously, five's quite an early age to start.
1: Yeah. Initially, I think it was just the social aspect and hanging out with your mates. And it was, I wasn't in any way, you know, naturally good at it. So it wasn't that I was competing and getting gold medals and doing particularly well. I just enjoyed doing it and being there. And then as I did, grow up and mature as a person, I think I did find that competitive side of things so unique. Like it's so different to team sports and even stuff like track and field and swimming and stuff like that. Judo's so hard. It's so variable. It's You never, you know, you're never just good at judo. You're never just better than someone. You know what I mean? You have to actually do your technique. They have to not defend it. It has to work. So you're never quite set with your judo progression. So I never got to the point where I was like, oh, I'm good with judo. I can move on. I always had something else to work towards and still doing that now
0: yeah there really is a, a never never-ending sense to the learning um, when it comes to judo yeah
1: exactly
0: right obviously growing up and, and doing judo as a kid was there a point where it went from being just say like a bit of a hobby or you know something you were because the sport you were doing to being a more of uh, a focused effort to improve and and you know get better at competitions
1: yeah I think it was right would have been when I probably got to the high school sort of age say 12 13 years old and that's where you know certain kids in certain sports started to really excel in like local footy teams and making regional squads and I was competing in judo but I've got a cupboard full of bronze and silver medals and and participation certificates and I was like I was always around but never quite did that well. And I just decided, no, 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 I want this to be my thing. It's different. None of my mates did judo. No one even really knew what judo was. But I wanted to be good at this thing that no one else really got. And I thought it was, you know, kind of mythical, kind of from Japan. And I didn't have any idea what Japan was, but you know what I mean? It was this thing that was going to be my own unique sort of take on the world. And I wanted to be good at it. And yeah, really, since that age, really, really dedicated myself to training in every way, shape or form to try and get better.
0: You mentioned Japan there. Um, I was just going to ask you, did you do much training abroad?
1: Uh, yeah. So um, probably off, I don't know, I've probably been about 10 to 12 times to Japan, mainly to Budo, but also spent a bit of time at scuba, both with the national team and off my own bat by myself and with some individual training partners. So Japan, as an Australian, I think that's the one luxury we have compared to the rest of the judo world. Japan's quite easy for us to get to. It's quite close geographically. It's quite cheap generally to get to and to spend time at so i've been in japan a few times and then as i progressed to an adult competitor i've traveled through south america and north america and europe quite a bit I've even been in africa a little bit did a couple of comps out there so seeing a little bit and judo's judo's taken me to a few different places so that's been quite a journey
0: how did you find the judo in japan so now it can be some people can find it quite a different experience in terms of how it's practiced compared to you know so obviously Australia I'm from the UK and you know when I went there I found it a very different experience what I was used to in Europe
1: yeah so it was definitely a culture shock in terms of you know training for three and a half hours at a time like I thought I was fit and strong and you know what was I oh I think I was about 20 by the time I actually went but I was you know I'd done all the squad trainings and all these sorts of training camps in Australia before I went to Japan I thought I was fit and could take on the world and blah 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 and then Real quickly realized that, you know, 14 randori's in in Japan, having not been successful in one throw yet, that it was a whole different world that was opening up to me. I actually enjoyed it. A lot of people tend to get real resentful sort of to the Japan culture when you're training there and, you know, that monotonous, heavy workload, high volume, monotonous training sort of setup. But I kind of found, especially as I matured as an adult competitor, I'm probably a bit of a late bloomer. I found the fact that in Japan most players have a very similar technical base. Obviously, they differ in the specifics of what throws they like and what grips. But for the most part, probably you know, say 50 to 60% of their judo makeup is similar across the board. So instead of having a training session of having you know in Melbourne having eight or ten different training partners that are all completely different in Japan, I'd have 15, but they're all very similar. So if I was trying to work on a particular throw or a gripping setup or a ne-waza sequence. I would get the same stimulus quite regularly. Now, when things aren't going well, that's incredibly frustrating because, you know, the same counter keeps happening to you, for example, but as you start to develop and work out your own judo, you can really start to, you know, be a more thoughtful, more, you know, intellectual sort of judo player, and I found it helped me because I wasn't a big thrower with my judo techniques. I was a bit of a grinder, and I was, you know, trying to be clever in counters and stuff like that, so trying to be smart and trying to work and and move in ways that other guys didn't. Japan helped me because I wouldn't have to reset every single time. I could pretty much try the same thing three, four, five, twenty times in a, in a session, and I'd get a pretty similar reaction. And if it would work, then I was set. If it didn't, then there was something wrong with my actual technique. So I,
0: I quite like Japan. How did you think your training there translated uh, into training or competing elsewhere in the world?
1: That's yeah, it's a curly one because I think training in japan helps you develop your judo helps you i think it helps you teach you about your own judo i don't necessarily gives you instant competitive success because like i said it's very similar style of judo and, and any competition you do only ever has one japanese entry however you know there might be 24 from europe so training in europe i found can help me competitively better I was able to, you know, make those little adjustments on a bunch of different players, bunch of different, you know, styles and translate that to competitive results better than Japan. So I'd probably say that Japan helped my development of my own judo. And then Europe probably helped me impose that judo on other players, if that makes sense.
0: I've been to Japan three times. And the one thing I really got from it was more that mental, sort of mental resilience, like you say, because you, you go and you're used to doing a session that might be, you know, one and a half, two hours max. And then you go to Japan and you're anywhere between three and four hours for a judo session. It, that's a, you mm-hmm. know, it's a long time. And it's just being able to still be standing on the mat by the end of that four hours. And you say your fitness and, you know, obviously there's, there is that improvement to judo, but it really was that mental fortitude. I think that I, I got most from it. Yeah. And did you have any, uh, like, a particular, favorite trip maybe or competition or place in the world that you've enjoyed training the most
1: oh well my favorite training camp I went to twice I was lucky enough to go twice it no longer happens it was a Casteldefels training camp in Spain I'm not sure if you've heard of it you might have yeah I've been if you've been on Instagram in the last few years it's a it's one of the favorites amongst the world tour it's that big training camp where everyone it, it's a who's who of the judo world turns up there and you're training within, you know, eyesight of some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. Yeah, so I was lucky to go to Casteldafels a couple of times and it was, it was great. You got to train twice a day, do crazy randoris with the best of the best from all around the world. And then anytime you weren't doing judo, you were uh, hanging out on the nicest beach that I've come across. So I would say Casteldafels probably stands out the most. Even though the second time I went there, I blew my ACL and wasn't able to do much. It was still a lovely place and, yeah, good memories.
0: Yeah, I, I did the training camp. camp. I was trying to think what year I went, and we, uh, one or two of my, uh, my mates, and we all snuck on. We uh, we just wait for the Russians okay. to walk in, and we'd walk in behind <laughs> them, and no one ever questioned us about our, um, uh, you know, who we were and why we were there. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, it's a beautiful place to train. Uh, like you said, we, we you finished training, then run into the the sea it was like twenty meters from the the venue.
1: Yeah, I remember thinking that midair when I was getting thrown a couple of times, just looking over. <laughs> <laughs> looking over the shoulder <laughs> of the opponent at people sunbaking and then realizing I was about to get crushed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, he- heaven and hell. We'll all in one. But yeah, pretty cool.
0: With the Olympics coming up pretty soon uh, in Tokyo, I'd like to maybe talk about your Olympic experience. So, so you competed okay. in uh, 2012 in London? Yes. Was the Olympics always something you want, you know, was that always a goal when you were, you know, from uh, when you decided to take judo more seriously, was the Olympics a goal or was that something that developed over time?
1: No, Uh, I knew from very early before I even really comprehended what the Olympic Games was. I definitely knew it was something I wanted to do. It's something I wanted to, I had to do. I think I was probably six years old, seven years old. I remember Barcelona when the the guy with the, the flaming arrow and shot it and then it lit up the torch. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Again, probably didn't comprehend exactly what it was, but I knew that this was a thing people talked about at judo training, the Olympics. And as I grew up and realized it was a competitive thing, and if you were really, really good and if you were, you know, the 1% of 1%ers, you got the chance. So, yeah, throughout my whole career, always wanted to go towards the Olympic Games. I missed out in 2008. I stuffed up out of one of the two tournaments, the qualifying tournaments. I won one and I got fifth at the other, so wasn't enough to get on that team. So come. 2012 and the, the run into London I left no stone unturned in terms of my preparation and things went fairly smoothly I guess in terms of the qualifying tournaments and stuff like that I had fairly strong results all the way through and qualified you know with the most points out of any of the Aussies that made the team that year so I was pretty safely there from about you know eight, N months in and then yeah did everything I possibly could in the lead up to be prepared on the day and unfortunately your friend Colin Oates was uh, in better shape and he was, he beat me to you goes to nothing that day and that was me done
0: something i recently talked to uh, matt de quino about and he mentioned he had a sort of a post olympics grieving process did you experience something anything like that you know obviously you say you, you didn't have the result um, you wanted on the day
1: yeah yeah they, not to not i wouldn't say i had the, the post olympic blues or post olympic depression sort of thing i'm probably was in a different situation in life Than most people, when it came to you know the the end of my sort of competitive career and stuff like that, like I worked full time throughout my whole career. I bought a house and got engaged in the six months before London happened. So I basically came home and had to go to work and pay my mortgage and do all these things. And I was already coaching at that time too, so I probably had enough distractions on my plate that I couldn't really wallow about the negative side of things and that you know I didn't get what I wanted which was a good Olympic result and so on and so forth. So you definitely do feel sad about it. There's things you'd like to do differently and change. Um, But I wouldn't say I had that real negative, you know, downturn sort of moment. Definitely did when I missed out on the Olympic Games four years earlier. But after London, I had that many things on my plate that before I knew it, you know, it was 2013 and I had to decide whether I wanted to go to the Commonwealth Games or not and focus my energy on that.
0: And did the experience live up to your expectations? Because obviously you said when you were you were six, you decided then that the Olympics was something you wanted to be involved with. Did the experience of going and competing live up to that?
1: Yes, definitely did. Like, I can't say anything negative about going to the Olympic Games and the whole process. I will just say that when you come home, you're still the same person you were before you flew over there, and and it's not, you know, the life-changing event that everyone, you know, foresees it when they're, when they're a teenager coming through that it's, you know, if I get this, then this will happen and that'll happen. And yeah, by the time you get around to Olympic games, you're you're cool for a couple of weeks and you get to experience this amazing thing in the village and you get to compete. And as judokas, we're done pretty early in the Olympic games. So you're as nervous as everyone else is before the games start and you're pretty quickly in competition, whether you do well or you don't, you're done very early in the actual Olympic games. So you get to go and watch other sports, you get to meet other athletes and and that experience is amazing like it's a unique experience that you can't ever you know explain that to anyone in the right words afterwards you've you know you've just got to go about your life and continue moving forward and find your next thing to work on and be passionate about
0: and i want to talk to you about the coaching uh while you're transitioning to coaching in a second but on the back of that you have you ever had any of your players mention that they want to go to the olympics
1: yes some some are a bit more realistic about it than others the judo club that i run here We're not there's a few judo clubs around that you would know yourself around Australia and in different places that are quite competitive and really push everyone coming through towards a competitive stream of judo. That's not a huge focus. We do have quite a group of of really good, advanced, quite technical and capable judo players that compete, but we haven't had anyone in the Olympic sort of run realistically, at least not yet. We do have a few more coming through that are young that'll potentially get to, you know, their cadet and junior careers soon and and might look at that as a realistic goal in the near future. But I haven't coached any athletes to the same level at this point.
0: What advice would you give to a young athlete who maybe is thinking of going to the Olympics?
1: I'll repeat a a sort of a quote that I heard from Kath Arlov many years ago. She was a a three-time Olympian for Australia. She said two things sort of in the same breath. One was always be the hardest worker in the room, and two, be the last one on the mat. And so that's you know, you can use that metaphor for, for life as well as for judo. So she said it didn't matter where you went, even if you're going somewhere, for example, Japan, where we've all been there, where you're copper hiding that entire three and a half hour session. If it gets, you know, three hours and 15 minutes in and you're still trying and you're still working harder than your, you know, your training partner, you're probably gonna do well in the long run. And always being the last one out there, don't ever take a shortcut. So I, you know, really pride myself on that in terms of my preparation. I always Like I said earlier, I wasn't a natural judo player. I wasn't a natural athlete. I don't have any gifts of athleticism or amazing judo technique, but I do make sure in every environment possible, I work harder. And I was able to be very successful. And any of my coaches that have come through will say that I, you know, my judo career was well above anything it should have been given what I was uh, given, what I was born with. So hard work and determination go a really long way in this sport.
0: Yeah, I think that's quite common thing is, you know, the, the, is the people that sort of are prepared to work hard. I think sometimes, I mean, this isn't always the case, but you do get the the naturally talented people uh, aren't always the ones that are there at the, the top. You know, it's the ones, obviously you do require some level of uh, skill and ability, but you know, the ones that seem to work harder and always put in that effort in are the ones that seem to push through further for the most part. Mm-hmm. You were saying before the 2012 Olympics, you'd already started coaching. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did you find the transition uh, from an athlete into coaching?
1: Oh, it's it it was a weird one because I guess it really did sort of cross over in terms like as I was competing, I've been coaching in some way, shape or form since I was 17 or 18 years old, obviously to a lesser extent. And I was just a bit of a helper on a Saturday morning and then ran one class a week. And then when I was competing, even when I was training for London, I was coaching three sessions a week at my club, at my own club as well as doing my own training and stuff like that. And then it got to the point where it was, you know, probably 50% of my time was coaching, 50% of it was doing my own thing and trying to juggle that. And I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but now it's at the point where all I do is coach. And then I'm able to do a little bit of training. i jump on for a couple of randories, but I wouldn't really call it training. But um, that transition was one that you sort of had to, it's a weird one to navigate. Like you, you can make the mental decision to retire and to no longer be competitive and to go, I'm done, so to speak. But then as soon as, you know, as soon as the Randori rounds start, you hear the timer go off, you see a good throw from the other side of the mat, someone asks you for a partner, next thing you know, you're in the same sort of headspace, being super competitive once again. So I think it was sort of a bit of an up and down, a bit of stop start, at least mentally for me until I was, you know, absolutely done with competing and, and just focusing on coaching. So that's probably something that's happened in the last couple of years, even though I've, you know, essentially been retired for seven eight years or not i've probably only mentally completely walked away from the competitive side of things in the last three years so to speak
0: you're saying there you have your own judo club yes how was how did you find setting up your own club because you mentioned you trained at a few other clubs um, in the past and i'm assuming you coached there when you were saying there about the you know coaching a couple of sessions a week and building up what was the transition like to setting up your own judo club
1: I probably made a lot of mistakes. I'm being honest. (laughs) I probably tried to. I'd been, like I said, I'd be working full time and making sure I was looked after financially throughout my life, throughout my career and stuff like that. So I invested a lot of money in going quite big. I didn't start in a community hall. I didn't, you know, build up slowly or hire out someone else's space, so to speak. I paid for a big lease. I bought a container full of mats from overseas and and went. Okay, now I need to get some students and and make this thing work. So setting it up there was a lot of headaches and a lot of things I definitely did wrong and a lot of things I learned on the fly but now in recent years my club's done quite well and I've I've learned from those lessons and I've done more well on the business side of things and that's given me the time and sort of mental space to be able to focus on really putting out good judo classes rather than stressing about aspects of the business that don't really help (laughs) you know what I mean so yeah Definitely made a lot of mistakes in terms of coaching and running a club and doing that sort of thing, but it's come quite positively in a, in a full circle sort of sort of thing. And now we're in a, we're in a good spot, and I think I'm doing well as a coach and and finding myself and and learning how to put the best possible judo classes out there.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And we were talking before we started the the podcast about judo in schools. Yes, and that's something you seem quite active in. Mm-hmm. How important do you think judo is for kids to be learning?
1: You'd struggle to find any person, adult, child, teenager who's done judo for any prolonged period of time and regrets it. That's the best way I can explain it to people that, you know, are asking out of the blue. You may or may not do judo for your whole life. Like things happen, you know, you might find other things in life you like more, or another sport you lose passion for blah, blah, but very rarely will anyone go. I did judo for 3 years. I hated it. It sucked. I wasted my time. You tend to find because of the nature of judo and the way, you know, we have to train, the way we have the Japanese sort of customs and stuff like that, people learn a lot about, you know, being respectful, showing, you know, having discipline, having all these sorts of, you know, personality traits that you then want as an adult. But as a judoka, you have to act that way as a child. So, it tends to accelerate that or teach kids about things that they will later use as an adult, whether it's on the judo mat or just in life. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot to take away from the sport other than just success and wins and losses. And that's the big focus with people that come through and, and want to do the sport is, is explaining to them that it's more than a sport, like the IGF likes to say, more than a sport.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: Obviously, you've had a pretty high-level competitive career um, internationally. And how how has that affected you as a coach, do you think, as a grassroots coach?
1: Yeah, it's, to be honest, most of my grassroots students have no idea that I've been a high-level competitor. I don't think you need to have been a high-level competitor to be a coach, especially at grassroots level. But it definitely, it probably has, the lessons I've learned through training and achieving high levels of competitive stuff is, to you know back myself and and commit to something and for example starting up you know a class that for three or four year olds that's never been done that you're not sure if it's going to work and if anyone's actually going to turn up on the first week that belief of no 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 I'm going to back my judgment and push forward that's something that's definitely benefited my coaching which I learned through my competitive career.
0: My understanding is as well you're you're coaching the Australian cadet team is that right?
1: Yep, we're, we're not able to do very much as Australian cadets team currently because of COVID and whatnot, but um, definitely keep track of all the kids. And I, I was able to, before COVID, go away with a couple of groups of cadets that are no longer cadets anymore. But hopefully, as the world circles back towards some sort of normality, we can get back on board because there's a lot of really dedicated young judo players. And when I came through at their age, there wasn't a pathway. There was, you know, when you're up to the age of 21, you could go to a junior Oceana or a junior worlds if you won Oceana. And then as a senior, if you were really good, then you could maybe go to worlds and compete internationally. There wasn't these development squads and junior training camps and junior European and cadet opens and stuff like that. That just wasn't even a consideration. So there's a lot of kids right now that are coming through that have got these opportunities that I never had that I'm like, hey man, commit yourself to this training because you can really do something. You can really experience judo in a way that others that came before you didn't have the opportunity to. So yeah, I'm quite passionate about the, the cadets coming through and hopefully we can uh, get back to work with all of them pretty soon.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a challenging year and a half.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Everything's been thrown into a bit of abnormality. And you mentioned there, obviously, the, the opportunity that the, the cadets, you know, uh, that age group have now that, you know, you didn't have when you were that age. Do you see much of a difference in the way sort of the kids are approaching judo now compared to maybe when, you know, you were that age and, you know, your peers at that time? Yeah, I
1: think because there's just, there's some very seasoned 17 year olds these days (laughs) in terms of how they approach their training and, and, you know, even things like discussing water loading and weight management and periodization of training and stuff like that, because they're getting these high level opportunities, they're having these discussions and being exposed to high level coaching and stuff like that. So they really have got a head start in terms of what they, you know, have at their fingertips When i was coming through it was just you know if there was an extra training session on you go do some extra randori oh there's a comp in sydney let's you know drive out there if we can get get mum to find somewhere to stay overnight and stuff like that so it was far more amateurish if that's the right word um when i came through as opposed to now these young kids that are coming through really have some high level high performance and professional resources at their fingertips so there's everything everything there for them to do well and you know, if you look at the current group, you look at someone like Eva Coughlin, she's come through the Australian system every step of the way, and she's beaten world champions. So that's a pretty good testament to what can be done in the Australian system in the current landscape.
0: And do you have, uh, like, so your, your future aspirations as a coach? And You know, you're looking to, I'm assuming when, once the cadets are training again, you'll be back with them. But are you looking to sort of uh, develop more into the junior and senior side for the Australian judo?
1: Um, not currently, to be honest, because at the moment with what I do, even once things are back to normal and I'm you know, back full time as a cadet coach, so to speak, the time it takes away from my business and my family life is a lot less than if I was with the senior program. So I'm not sure I'd be in a position to do that job properly if I stepped up, possibly juniors, juniors are quite similar to cadets. Um, but the senior team, they've, especially during COVID times, they're pretty much professional. They're traveling, training, competing all year round. But I've got a five-year-old little boy and another one on the way. I, I don't think I'd commit to the senior coaching sort of thing in the next in the foreseeable future. So I think I'd like to continue doing my local-based stuff like with my club and some other stuff we have around here. And then I definitely think I can help the cadets and junior program. But I think that's about as much as I can manage. I don't want to bite off more than I can chew and commit to something and then later realize I'm not the right guy for the role. So. Even though I think I could possibly help, and I could be, you know, a good sounding board for some of the senior athletes, I'm not in the right, you know, phase of life to commit to that sort of travel at the moment.
0: Yeah, I don't think sometimes people realise how much goes into being a coach. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: it's, it's 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 all consuming. Yeah,
0: you mentioned that you got a, a five-year-old boy. Is he doing judo yet?
1: Zach, he's he he likes being at judo. He likes comedy training. He doesn't really like when we actually do judo. So we're, 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 we're working on that. So we're going to see, we might have some things next year. So my son, Zach, is, uh autistic. So he's not neurotypical, lovely kid has a bit of challenges when it comes to, you know, certain group environments and stuff like that. So putting him into a kid's class at the moment at our club where you've got 20, 25 kids going bananas is, is a bit of a mission, but I would like to find, you know, a no limits or a program that I can work in that could, be comfortable for him—a setting that he'd, you know, feel that he could get his best out of himself in—and I think we're looking, we're potentially going to be able to do that in the, in the near future. So maybe he'll ever get on and and jump on and do some judo soon. But at the moment, it's uh, he loves playing with trains on the side of the mat while I coach. Yeah, awesome.
0: Mm. We have a judo player at Zembu, called Jacob Edwards. We had a conversation a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, cause he he has autism. Yep. And you know, he spoke about how much judo helped him mm-hmm. you know and hopefully hopefully it's able to help your kid as well
1: oh uh, jacob's a gun i've I've known Jake since he was oh, 14 15 when he first he made he made a team somewhere and a cadet or junior oceana or something he's an amazing success story from even as a teenager where i'm sure he'd already overcome a lot to how he is now he's a very good judoka adult he's just a good man
0: yeah um, very good man um
1: yeah. a- a- amazing story yeah
0: like you say, um, I think he won bronze at the Australian Nationals recently. Mm-hmm. You know, he's definitely someone that's really embraced that side of him and flourished rather than letting it sort of dictate, you know, who he is and what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's no, great. So, I'd like just to ask you a bit about your, so we've spoken about, you know, your, your physical preparation quite a bit in terms of, you know, where you've trained and how you've trained. So I'd talk a bit about your, your mental preparation when you were an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, say leading into a competition, how would you, How do you approach that?
1: I think I might be a bit more of an intense personality when it comes to my judo than the average person. I was very focused on my goal, especially when it was high-level international competitions. Whether or not I was a realistic chance of winning the world championships the night before, I was preparing and behaving or treating myself as if I was, you know, Abe. So I was always very focused and serious and Like we said, I ticked all the boxes physically to get there. Then when it came time to compete, it wasn't a game. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't something that, you know, was okay if I didn't perform my best. I'd get very down on myself if I let myself down and and didn't do my best. If I did my best and I just lost to the better player, for example, Colin at the Olympic Games, that is what it is. You can only do so much. But I was very, very, very focused on the, the details. So I had, you know, game plan strategies, You know, plan A, B, C. I had tactics for individual players that I would come against. It wasn't just get out there and figure it out. I was very serious and very, you know, I had a job to do. And that was the way I always looked at it. And that was why I tried to handle things as professionally as possible. Like, you don't just turn up to your office on Monday morning and go, all right, what's on? What's on for the week? You've got, you know, a lot of background work preparation and, you know, you come to it fully informed. So I tried to handle judo the same way. So I was always very, very, very focused and very dedicated to that side of it.
0: Is that something you you developed naturally throughout your competitive career? You just sort of found a way that worked for you or did you have, you know, was it one of your coaches that sort of guided you to be more like that?
1: No, it was definitely self-paced because I think I had a different personality to most of my coaches throughout my career. I also think it was something that I learned as I developed as a young adult, like I said, I didn't get. I wasn't actually probably wasn't good enough. Even there was opportunities around as a cadet and junior and stuff like that coming through. I wasn't doing high level training camps and all these sorts of things. I was just training at home. So I learned about high level judo as a young man in my you know late teens and early 20s. And then as I went to judo competitions and training camps and stuff like that, I would watch these guys that I've looked up on, wasn't even YouTube back then, fighting film videos and stuff like that. And I would watch how do they prepare? How do they warm up? How do they talk to their coach? What do they do when they bow off? What do they do the day before they compete? What do they do the day after? You know what I mean? Because as an Australian, it's quite easy to, you know, treat the competition, so to speak, as a trip. Oh, I'm in this other country. I can do this, that, and the other now. Whereas you watch, you know, teams like the Slovenians, for example, they are training right up until the day they compete. Even if they weigh in at 7 o'clock at night at 8.30, they're on the warm-up mat doing drills and preparing themselves. If they lose first round of the competition, they don't go find the nearest pub. They go and work with their coach on what went wrong, take down some notes, prepare for the training camp. So I think I tried to learn as much as I could from people that I considered my peers once I got to that certain level. And I went, okay, I want to be like these guys. Doesn't matter if my teammates or people at home treat their judo like this. I want to. So, yeah, I sort of framed the way I looked at it and the way I tried to set myself up. Of other people I'd seen do it and, and do it well,
0: and that sort of mindset is that something that's translated into your coaching. I, I know I've already asked you about that, that um, sort of you know how your competitive careers shaped you as a coach, but is this this mindset as well part of that?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I think with my coaching, something I'm big on, which is probably different to the competitive side of it, is I want everyone to sort of find their own path. So I'm really big on all of my students. Figuring out their own judo, whether that's competing, not competing, being a referee, doing kata, being a coach, whatever it is, commit to it. Be passionate about it. Put your energy into it. And then within that, I may have been a Sianagi player, but if you're, you know, six foot four and have giant legs, well, you're going to be an uchimata Soto player. But I really want people to find themselves. And that's what I said, like back to when you go to Japan and stuff like that. By the end of that trip, you know what sort of judo player you are. And that's what I try and that sort of thing is what I try and carry over in my coaching is it's okay to be, you know, left-handed, right-handed, tall, short, oh gosh, you soda, whatever it is, but figure out what you are, what you want to be, and let's do everything possible to be the best version of that. And that's probably the biggest carryover I have along those lines.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah. I think that's something that judo really affords people the opportunity as well. Though. There's so there's so much variety of techniques and styles of judo that it really can sort of fit all shapes and sizes i think some sports maybe are a little bit more you know one one size that's you know you have to be a particular size to be you know involved in say a certain type of track or field event mm-hmm. and you know if you're not really that size or shape then you're not going to be optimal whereas like you say judo you, there's, there's all the different weight groups and there really is that opportunity to explore so much of the sport
1: yeah it is it's in a strange comparison it's almost like artistic expression sort of thing like like you can do your version of judo you'll find your own way to do it and that's perfectly fine there's no you know not you don't have to be six foot eight and 120 kilos like teddy there's short stocky guys there's you know all sorts of body shapes and approaches to judo that can be successful so find your judo and work your butt off to be good at it is you know the way i sort of look at it
0: yeah fantastic I think that'll be a really nice place to finish up. So, no, I really appreciate your coming, you know, having a conversation and giving us your insight. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Dave. Thanks for your time. Hopefully, uh, you know, some of the stuff I said is insightful and paint a bit of a picture of people that are coming through and trying to do their own sort of judo journey and get the best out of themselves. And that's all we can do, isn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly. And before we finish, I mean, do you you want to... What the name of your club in Melbourne?
1: Yes, yeah, so I run Century Academy. We're in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, in Thomastown. Yeah, judo club. We started from scratch about five years ago, and now we're up at about hundred judo members now, which is pretty exciting for us. And yeah, spend most of my time here trying to work out lesson plans and run classes and get everything going.
0: Oh, great! So, if uh, anyone's ever in Melbourne and they want to have a yeah, train, keep yourself down there. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Will you become actually? Will you be competing again?
1: competing Well, absolutely not <laughs> but i'll 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 be doing the more stressful job of sitting in the coach's chair soon uh but i think my competitive days are, are done but uh looking forward to being around the high level judo again
0: oh fantastic all right well again thank you very much for, for your time and you know all the best for your coach and your judo club
1: thanks mate